Hey folks, Joseph Noob here. I hope you've all had a good February. If you can survive February, you can survive anything. This week's guests are really special to me, Aaron Ehas and Justin Richmond. You'll recognize Aaron from his work writing for Avatar The Last Airbender and Justin from directing Uncharted 3, but they both left Riot Games more than two years ago to create something really awesome, Netflix's The Dragon Prince, the second season of which just dropped on the 15th, and a video game adaptation is coming down the line that promises some really cool angles on the world that they've built. A little background, I wrote the very first article on Aaron and Justin and their company Wonderstorm for Polygon back in late 2017, back before they could even announce what their new world was. Normally that would be kind of hell for any writer, how do you write a feature on something that hasn't been revealed to you yet? But that afforded me the chance to write about what experiences turned Aaron and Justin into the creators and writers that they are now, and it's one of the reasons I'm so excited to share this chat we had shortly before the second season dropped. I managed to watch the whole second season before the interview, and we talk about the world they're building and the efforts they've gone to make it more inclusive with really wonderful, diverse characters. This includes admitting to some minor mistakes and working closely with their community to rectify them and make sure everyone is heard. I didn't expect to love the Dragon Prince as much as I did, considering the, the art style and somewhat more kid-friendly fare, but it's really stuck with me how Aaron and Justin have made a world that feels fresh and driven by unique personalities, and it isn't afraid to make those journeys these characters go on really matter to them. If you haven't watched Season 2 yet, you'll probably want to avoid this as we do go deep into spoilers, but even if you're not a huge Dragon Prince fan, I think there's a lot to learn from Justin and Aaron about how you build up a community that's positive, how you create a world that almost anyone can find a piece of themselves in, and how you handle all of that responsibility with maturity. I'm always impressed when I talk to these two, and I think you will be as well. Let me know what you thought on Twitter, support our resident musician at zwbuckley.com, and please, enjoy. Well, hello again, and welcome back to the 1099. I'm your host, Joseph Noop, and as always, I'm really grateful you're here with us. And I'm especially grateful for my two guests today. You may know Justin Richmond as the director on Uncharted 3 and a producer at Riot Games, and you may know Aaron Ehas as the lead writer on Avatar The Last Airbender and as former creative director at Riot Games. In the time since, they've co-created the new fantasy world of The Dragon Prince on Netflix, which has just entered its second season. Justin, Aaron, how you two doing? Good, man. How are you? Great. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited to be talking to you guys again today. And uh, for, for for more than just talking about The Dragon Prince, I, I was fortunate enough. I think, let me actually double check what the published date. I've got the article here. November 30th, 2017, uh, we published an article at Polygon.com. Uh, my editor, Matt Leone, reached out to me and said, hey, uh, these two notable guys are doing something, see if, if anything's up. And I got to talk to you guys about, uh, you were founding Wonderstorm, uh, before you even were willing to talk about the Dragon Prince. I got to talk to you guys <laughs> and I got to, and I got to, to dig a story out of that. Like, okay, they didn't announce anything, but I'm going to like ask them what games and, and other crap that they've enjoyed throughout their life. And like, what's, what's, what their big ideas are for Wonderstorm. So uh yeah how are you two doing and how how are you enjoying the wonderstorm life thus far Do, doing good and first of all like we loved that piece that you wrote for polygon it was it felt very true to what who we're trying to be and what we were trying to do and like you really got into that and we were grateful for that yeah it was awesome thank you so much um we really we really appreciate it yeah, yeah no, no worries. worries and uh, uh so, so I guess we didn't answer your question. So Which was how is Wonderstorm? Wonder uh, yeah, how 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 is how is year? We're coming up on Dragon Dragon Prince debuted. When did it first debut? September fourteenth, fourteenth. Yes, yes, September fourteenth, twenty eighteen. And then we're coming up on February fifteenth, twenty nineteen, of the release of season two. But you said something. You said how is Wonderstorm life? And I kind of. I kind of like that. That's super fun. That's a, I'm going to steal that. Like, like Waterstorm Life. Yes, yeah, so let's. We can start a magazine. <laughs> yeah. Pivot. We're now Pivot. a magazine company. Yeah, exactly. Wonderstorm Life. And uh, just... We're changing the direction on this startup. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, it, it it's been super awesome. Like we're so excited that that people finally got to see the show. A and B. 
um, really responded in a, in a really positive manner, which is always nice to see. Um, and we, <laughs> we absolutely love that our fans have engaged so hard with the franchise and that they're willing to talk to us online and on social media and like and really, you know, dig into the franchise. And we're just so grateful that that's happened. And so we've uh, reviews have gone out. We're recording this on February 8th and the show, the season actually debuts on the 15th. And the episode, this episode that we're recording right now will go up just a couple days later. So everyone should have a pretty good idea of what season two is all about. And so for all intents and purposes, consider this a, a possibly spoiler-filled podcast. We're going to talk about some of the things. I got screener access, so I have I finished season two about three hours ago. <laughs> so, so believe me, I, I hustled through those nine episodes. Uh, but I, but I enjoyed it all the way. And most importantly, how, how does it feel to be kind of sitting at the tail end of season two? I'm sure I'm not the only like interview you're doing and I'm sure you've got a lot of things to contend with, uh, in the launch of the season, but how does it feel to be looking on the other side for the most part? Uh, we're really, we're very proud of the season. Um, it feels like, I think, you know, season two has this feeling. I, I think we leave a lot of things at the end that are, we're getting deeper into the story, but we're also revealing that there's so much more uh, to go and so much more to tell. And so it sort of feels like, all right, like you saw the first season and now you know the truth, which is that there's there's a lot left to go. Um, but I don't know. It, it um, <coughs> feels like it's getting real. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm excited. I think I'm <coughs> speaking a little bit for our partners at Bardell, but like, they were so excited to dig into season two, and I think they just, they absolutely, you know, I'm so excited, I keep saying excited, I'm so happy with the results, like, they just did such an amazing job of, of taking what we had of this base and, like, building an even more incredible show, technically and, and artistically, out of what was going on, and I just can't say enough good things about those guys, like, Bardell just absolutely crushed it, and, and I think we did stuff this season that, that is really special and cool, and, and I'm glad they're on board for the ride. I did want to ask, I like uh, when when your PR person was like, hey, do you want screen or access for season two? I was like, heck, yeah, I have no idea if I'll be able to finish it. But I was like, oh, OK, n- nine episodes, which was the exact same amount as the first season. And I like with the big familiarity, of course, being uh, Aaron, your work on Avatar Last Airbender that had give or take like 20 episodes, three seasons. And I wanted to ask, like, do you are you did you guys kind of specifically choose that amount of episodes per season? Because uh, it feels like the show moves at a really fast pace, uh, and it does. By the end of each season, I felt like okay, we actually did cover quite a bit of ground here. But I wondered how you guys kind of uh, tackled the planning process, like. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. I think that um, you know, on Avatar, we were kind of obligated to strike some kind of balance between. Um, kind of the long story arcs that we were progressing and um, Nickelodeon wanted us to, to find a roundness in individual episodes and, and um, slow down. They wanted it to also be able to work if they were rerun in different orders and stuff like that. So we couldn't always move as fast as I think we maybe would have. Um, you know, the positives of that are that each season is quite long, is quite full, is quite rich. Um, but I think that the, the pace of avatar seasons kind of goes up and down. Like, there are points when it speeds up and points when it slows down. Um, I think here we were encouraged by Netflix to um, tell the story, progress the story, move the story at, at whatever pace we felt, you know, was right. And so we kind of have pushed it along at an epic pace, I think. Um, I think there are parts where we are, the pace is more on the emotional side and the character side and maybe not specifically on the adventure side. Um, but that that's going to vary and change. But yeah, nine episodes... We recognize that's um, it's it's not a very long season. We we used to think of it as a Lord of the Rings length of <laughs> of kind of story content yeah. per season, yeah. and we thought like, okay, well that's that's a good amount of epic story, yeah. a Lord of the Rings worth of epic story per per season. In a way, in a way, it does kind of feel like. I, I, in in no way am I complaining. Really, it, it certainly made my job easier completing the season before <laughs> before the interview. That was definitely uh, a goal. Make Joseph's job was, easier. Exactly, <laughs> please. But also, like, N- Netflix and particularly, like, their Marvel series have always been kind of criticized for, like, going three or four episodes too long. So 
in a way, like I think we're all beginning to maybe learn to to live with that nine episode length. You're right. It, it is literally if you parse Lord of the Rings down to nine 30 minute installments, you get a three hour Lord of the Rings movie and you've covered a lot of meaningful ground there. Right. Yeah, I think some of it's also that like hopefully it's all killer, no filler. Right. But like some of it's also you're because you're putting them all out at once. It's just like a slightly different thing. Like Avatar obviously was week by week for a long period of time. And, and there's definitely, it's definitely a different feeling when you're working on something where it's like, Hey, these are all going to hit and everybody can watch them all at the same time. That's definitely like a slightly different thing. I think. So yeah, I've, I've finished season two. And as you can imagine, especially having just finished it, like literally three hours ago, I have feelings. Uh. <laughs> and uh, I'll admit it took me a little while to get around to watching season one. Uh, and I sped through that. I, I devoured that pretty quickly. And season two, in kind of response to season one, feels like it's been more about now that we've gotten the character introductions out of the way and we know the world a little more familiar, uh, more intimately. It feels like this season was about growth and about the nature of power in a way. You see characters like Viren and Claudine and uh, uh, Callum using their various kinds of powers in ways that maybe they're using it for their personal gain or maybe they're using it, they all seem to be using it for people they care about. Even someone like Viren uh, seems to be, you know, he's, he's doing it because he does deep down believe he's doing something good to protect his world even though it's like born out of a, a malice for a, di- a different race of beings Callum is just trying to learn and be uh, useful to his team and uh, Claudine desperately wants to you know keep not hurt her friends but like fulfill her dad's mission and Soren too so tell me like what kinds of themes and and tones and vibes and growth did you guys want to approach and tackle during the season and how do you think it panned out we knew that one of the real themes of season two was going to be kind of self-empowerment through self-understanding and the idea of kind of knowing more about yourself and how you what are your strengths and weaknesses and how do you fit into the world and what are you passionate about is what allows you to kind of unlock whatever you know, your abilities are in relation to the world. So that was sort of what Callum's journey is about. Um, it's definitely, we want to be empowering to people to, you know, the, the notion of kind of choosing that path. Um, you know, Callum says, destiny is a book you write yourself. You know, we feel like we're telling this epic story and so many epic stories have like prophecies and like fate. And we want, we want our characters to be like, actually, we're making it. History is what we're choosing to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's important to us. Um, I'm not sure if I'm a- answering your question directly, so you can please poke and prod me on this some more. But, um, but- So it seems like in some sense, the Callum saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to write our own history book in a way is a rejection of the history that brought everybody to this point. We have the history of the Dragon King and the, the missing Dragon Prince egg uh, thought to be equally dead and uh uh you have the younger characters in this series like a lot of young people do when they're confronted with their their elders uh aggressions and and past wrongdoings you have the younger generation beginning to question like what why are we fighting why why does it have to be this way and yeah a little bit of it's like very you know shown in anime power of friendship kind of kind of vibe but it's not wrong it's it, it is it has been very fun seeing Callum. I'll be honest, like the between the character design and some of the the earlier scenes, getting to learn like about Callum and Ezrin, especially Ezrin. I was like, okay, where hmm, where are these characters going? And you know, will I love them as as much as other kind of uh, animated series that I fall in love with? But they've they've shown clear growth. And even though I don't know what their endpoint is going to be, it seems like they are in fact growing and be, being real characters in that way. Thank you. <laughs> I think one thing that's yeah. interesting about Ezrin in particular is like, he really starts to become an act. Like in the first season, you know, he's sort of much more of a side character. And then in this season, I think you actually see, Oh, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Realizing he's the King and like what that means and, and choosing to take on, you know, that kind of challenge as like, as a young person. And, and, and like you said, like the rejection of, 
the rejection of the history that came before, like just because your parents made terrible freaking decisions does not mean that you have to follow that path is something that I think is important to us to get out into the world, but also just that is an interesting story beat as well. And hopefully we're, we're portraying it as like not obvious or easy that you can choose a different path. I mean, the truth is like, yeah, we're all, and sometimes we're not aware of them. We're all kind of initiated into patterns of thinking and kind of patterns of conflict and frankly prejudice that we're not aware of as we, as we grow up and whatever kind of groups we're, we're a part of. Um, and so kind of seeing past those things and making different choices, um, is hard, but it's also something that, that younger people can, can do, you know, and that's what hopefully this, this group is, is discovering in this, you know, story. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's what they're going through. And, and yeah, and I, and I, I like that. And I especially like that we're, we're feeling it at first. I was like, will there be enough room for character growth in only nine episodes this season? But it seems like that goal has been achieved. Um, and and for, as far as that that older generation, you know, we characters like Viren and the king and his wife and uh, the the flashback scenes to to showing how they kind of uh, uh, spent those years where Callum and Ezrin were you know practically babies. I I love this weird dichotomy between Viren and his two kids, Claudine and Soren, and how it how it is not mirroring but a very very different than the kind of relationship that the king had with uh Callum and Ezrin and the way that perhaps that paternal guidance kind of shines through does that make sense at all yeah I think so <laughs> I mean I think there's something just to talk about Viren for one second like I think Viren is really really interesting because uh, obviously he's driven and passionate about what he believes in and stuff. But I think at the end of the day, like he's still a dad, like he still loves his kids and he's putting them in kind of horrible predicaments, but for reasons that are very specific, like he's really, he is trying to push them to accomplish the things that he thinks that they can then do. I think he thinks they can step into the roles that he wants them to Now, whether or not they do that is a different question. But I think that's one of the things that makes Viren so interesting. It's like, yeah, he's a, he's kind of a power hungry guy. Um, but he has reasons for that that hunger and that reasons that he believes that those are the right things to do. And hopefully you see some of that in the flashbacks. And I think Claudia in particular is in for a, an interesting ride. Obviously in this season, I think is in an interesting spot where you know she's been given slightly different from, information from Soren. And I think that that lends itself to interesting storytelling. And I think I'm, I'm excited to see it. Like hopefully if people watch this thing, we'll get to tell more of that, you know, more, more of their relationship I think is really interesting. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think we also... Uh, you know, just on Vera in one more moment, you know, we get a little more insight into their family history. And honestly, like, you know, we, we hear from Claudia about why the bonds between the three of them are really tight. And part of that is because um, of the way that they lost their mother and their lo their mother left their lives. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that kind of is going to make her cling even harder to her brother and her father because that's what she has left. And that, that explains probably some of what she kind of accepts or let her dad, lets her dad get away with because she's so desperate to just keep it together, keep, yeah. keep, keep this family together. And, you know, thinking back on that particular scene, yeah, where Claudia is, is hanging out with uh, Ezrin and just telling this, this story, I, I have enough people in my life who have gone through a, a similar kind of struggle, uh, not necessarily the death of a parent, um, but it, and like Claudia's Claudia's mom left the family because, as she tells it, there were struggles between her and Viren and and just the way that relationship was playing out, I suppose. And I thought that was really that was one of many and we'll get into them. That was one of many kind of different storytelling strokes that helped set apart something like the Dragon Prince that that feels like we're not how easily could we have fallen into like, oh, my mom is dead. And that's why my family is screwed up or something. It's like, no, my, my parents had disagreements vital enough that for her own happiness, she chose to, to go away. I think that a lot of people who have experienced that, people who I love in, in, in my own life, I think that they're going to appreciate that. I don't know what your thoughts were more on that, but. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think when we talked about it, we, we felt, first of all, that it gave Claudia and Soren and, and Viren more kind of layers that made them relatable. And um, But I think one of our other goals, too, has been to reflect kind of parts of our audience and, and you know, not including both uh, kind of identities and, and uh, kind of individual kinds of things, but also dynamics, family dynamics. You know, from the beginning, the intention was to see the royal family as like, oh, this is a complicated dynamic with a stepdad and, and half brothers and some history here, you know, like things that reflect, you know, modern, more complicated families and people do go through, you know, things like that. And so um, we thought it made the characters much more interesting. And um, but also we appreciated that it was, you know, hopefully going to reflect the experience of a lot of people who aren't used to seeing that, that experience in um, certainly in a magical fantasy story. <laughs> I think I remember this is a little inside baseball. I remember I remember the call like Aaron and I meet in the morning oftentimes to write or work. And uh, he called me on like literally I was driving to coffee and he called me on the way in and he's like, I know I know why Claudia is acting the way she does around her family. And like. I know, I know what it is. And then he wouldn't tell me what it was until I got to the coffee store. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, on a side note, yeah. if we can have a look, quick aside on this, I, this yeah. is telling what, what you're, what, what Justin is saying is telling a, a little bit of the way we do writing, which is, um, and season two has some really great examples of this, which is we're very, very character led. And like we, we talk about this, which is like we have a kind of sense of, we're certainly world builders and we have a sense of, uh, what's happening in the world and we kind of build this uh, mythology and history um, to set things up and put conflicts in motion and and understand where things are going but in terms of the individual characters we try to be really open-minded to them and uh, and follow them through the experience we try to discover them as we kind of push them through the story and let them tell us you know what uh, you know what their choice is or how they're feeling or who they really are or what we didn't know about them that we thought we knew about them. Yeah. We, we really try to be open to it. And that did happen with Claudia. Um, it also really happened with Ezrin in this season. Um, I, to be honest, like we did not plan that ending the way it was. We got there and, and we, and Ezrin found out the truth and we, we all just sat here and we were like, Oh my gosh, like he, he knows he has to go back after all this. Like yeah. he knows it. <clears throat> he knows he has to face this. I mean, it's like, and we were like, well, well, don't we have this trio moving across the world and going to Zadia. Right. Like, how is it going to work? Like, <laughs> we're breaking our own show. What yeah. are we doing? It's, it, it, it is that fellowship of the ring breaking yeah. in a moment. Yeah. yeah. And so this, that was not planned. It was not planned. Ezrin told us, I'm out. I have to go back. Yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll see each other again, but this is what I have to do. And so it was like we literally we were struggling with it because yeah. it derailed a lot of what we thought was going to happen. But it was the truth and it was Ezrin's truth. So we followed that. And like, um, you know, in kind of our own pushing forward on the story and how we've thought about the story moving forward, we know it was it was it was the, it right, was way. the right way to go. Yeah. And, and I and I, I like that too. Are are either of you D and D players at all? Yeah, we we both are. I mean, we both grew up. There's a weekly game here. Yeah, at, there's a uh, weekly game at the office, but okay. we both we, grew we, up playing D and D also. Yeah. It in in some ways, like I'm a I'm a big fan of Critical Role, and I've I've played enough of my own. Uh, it, it it did feel like this moment where maybe like a member of the party uh, got a job uh, in a different state or something and they have to move. And like, you know, you've, you've built up this friendship over so long and like, they're not dying. They're not like really going to go out of your life that much, but it felt like a break the party moment, you know? I think that's right. Do you know that story about the expanse, by the way, that like, you know, the expanse was like an epic sci-fi, basically D and D campaign. Like somebody died in the game because oh. the character moved <laughs> the guy moved away <laughs> oh did oh wow i i'll fess up i i have not checked out the expanse yet uh, although I, I i have wanted to especially because i worked at a bookstore where all the books were on display all the time but <laughs> yeah check it out great and that's actually that's actually worth asking too like the 
Dragon Prince is a much more for for as unique as like the the elven races are and a lot of the mystery that's still built around dragons, humans, and, and elves. Uh, it, it's a much more like Western fantasy world as opposed to something like Avatar, which has Eastern influences, uh, mysticism and whatnot. And did you ever think about like D&D storytelling techniques as you kind of went along and, and how Western fantasy has been played out and played upon and, and reworked thousands and thousands of times? Um so I read a lot of fantasy um, and sci-fi, but, but particularly fantasy. And I don't think there's any, I don't know, for myself anyway, I don't think there's anything in particular that's like, oh, I'm going to think hard about how like how this sort of stuff unfolds it typically or whatever. It was more, I don't know, it was, it was more just always a gut check of like, this. Like I always felt like it was a gut check of like, oh, have I seen this 800 times before? Like, does this seem really familiar for some reason or like, is there something specific about this that is that hopefully is unique and cool? Um, but I, there, I don't think I, I don't know for myself. I never felt like there was any any moment where it was like, oh, we could try this crazy thing that somebody else did. I think it was much more like I really remember a lot of books that seem like this, and we should maybe take that into account. Sure. Yeah, I don't. We didn't explicitly do it, but yeah. like, like as you say it, like I am sure as a kid, like I think Dungeons and Dragons and and all those manuals and. <laughs> All that time, like that's what in my mind created like, oh, this is how fantasy worlds work and, yeah. and and spells and I mean even like you know, the characters there are some spells that require verbal or somatic yeah, or right. or material components. <laughs> yeah. I mean like it's it, it the influence is there, whether whether we're whether we're explicitly you know yeah, kind of right. going to it, it was like that it definitely imprinted yeah. on on me. You were the one who brought up. You asked a question that I ended up answering in our first interview about my grand, my uh, uncle and his science science fiction. Oh, that's story. right. And I never mm-hmm. put it together until you asked that question. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, really? Like, he was the one who kind of put me on this path, and you know, for good or for evil, I guess. Um, but yeah, thank you for asking that question because it. I definitely talked to him after that, and I was like, you realize this all is kind of your fault, and he was like, yeah, I'll take that. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that that's the best kind of uncle is one who's like i'm gonna put you on this path and i'm gonna have no shame for like turning you into a giant nerd you know 30 years down the road exactly let's 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 move a little into uh the in in season two um with the reviews coming out uh, as we speak and a lot of people have begun to to put two and two together i'm sure they'll see this as the as the show comes out there are uh two two lgbt characters who come to their names escape me i should have written them down but they're they're essentially the the nobles of a different uh land and they come to the king for uh assistance in this flashback sequence that viren is telling and those two characters uh take part in a in what is essentially like an escape from the dragon king during this this big epic mission and they perish uh they 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 choose to essentially sacrifice themselves uh to distract the dragon king from the escaping party and they perish and then the story moves on from there uh aaron you there were i saw you tweeting uh today about uh the the community response to this and i thought to your credit that the that your response to all this was really fair constructive and i saw that a lot of people responding to you were like hey thank you for addressing this and and tackling this in a meaningful way so uh, tell me, tell me the thoughts that are going on in your head as you kind of look back on that. Um, I, I myself, I'm not LGBT in any sense, so I'm not necessarily the person to like interrogate you about this and I don't want to, but I want to know what your thoughts are. So, so I guess, I guess we should say like, just for people who may not be familiar, the, the, there is a trope of LGBT characters dying in media. Sometimes it's exploitative for a cheap, like, ha, gotcha kind of emotion burst. So some people call it the, the bury your gaze trope. Yeah, and some of it, and often it is that um, a character is presented as like, well, here's the rep you wanted. Here's a gay character, like there. Aren't you happy? And then almost immediately, rather than actually dealing with, you know, um, kind of building out an actual character, um, they kill that character off. They do something, and and they, you know, as if that counts. And it's like, wait, why, why did you? You, you you acted like you were giving us something and the truth is you gave us you gave us nothing you just pointed at a character who was there for five minutes yeah um, so 
it's a trope we are aware of um, and very sensitive to. And um, it's it's a problematic trope um, in the case of season two and kind of the story you're telling. Um, we had a we had this character who we're really excited about this young queen, Queen Anya, and mm. we knew she was a young queen because her parents were dead. We knew her parents had died when she was um, a baby. And we knew that we were going to tell the backstory of um, how this happened because it involves King Harrow and Queen Sarai. And when I was thinking about this character, and I was, I was thinking about this very poised, confident young woman, um, and I thought a lot about my daughter, and I thought a lot about my niece um, and my sister, who um, is a lesbian and is married to a wonderful woman, and they have an, a beautiful family and a beautiful relationship. Um, for me, provided a lot of the inspiration for how I was thinking about Anya and how we started to think about her family. And we thought, wow, well, that's cool. This makes sense. Like, she's a really strong young woman. It would make sense that they come from a culture where, where women are powerful and strong and recognized and, and, um, and just not even, even questioned. And we thought, well, that, that could be interesting. That could be cool. I actually talked to my sister and she was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Um, and then as we talked about it in the writer's room, we kind of, we immediately were like, oh, hang on though, wait a minute. So we're saying, we're, we're gonna give her gay parents, but, um, they're, but they're dead. They're dead, yeah. And so, mm -hmm. so we thought it through and we, we tried to, you know, we kind of went back and forth. And part of what we thought was like, okay, well, we don't think this is bait because we're not saying here are some gay characters and then, ah, surprise, we're taking them away from you. Um, we're actually saying here are some dead characters and surprise they're gay. So it's, it's a little bit the, re the reverse in that sense. So hopefully it doesn't feel like, like that part of it. Um, we also kind of thought through, well, if we make her parents a, you know, a heterosexual couple, um, is that better for her? Is that better for her character? And is it better for our audience or community? Because now we're not falling into the trope. And so we kind of tried to weigh all this. And we thought, well, we don't fall into the trope, but she's less interesting. And there, there is less representation and diversity because now we have all the kings and queens we've ever seen on the show are all heterosexual couples. And so, mm -hmm. um, so we made the judgment call that even though we knew we were going to be pushing up against the trope, uh, that it was still cooler and more representative to have these awesome, powerful queens um, be a couple, and um, so that's what we that's what we chose. Um, we hope when when people see it that they that they love this character of Queen Anya and they love that her history, you know, is these these two powerful, uh, amazing women were her parents and. And that people love that, even even though we understand that the, you know, yeah. uh, that the that the the history and the context of things like this are is problematic. So um, I know that was kind of a long-winded answer, but it's I guess it's my way of saying like we're really thoughtful about it. We're really interested to hear what the community thinks when they when they see so, it. Yeah. We hope a lot of people are like, yeah, this was a good decision. We're also going to be listening to people who are like, no, you guys messed up and here's why. Like we're going to be, we're going to be listening and we're going to want to be a part of that conversation. Yeah. Um, we do have a long story that we're hoping to tell with this world and these characters. So we are, this is definitely not like meant to be like, oh, here's your rep. There's, there is more rep in the future of Dragon Prince mm, yeah. um, as, we, as this story unfolds. Um, but uh, I think, uh... I, I think for me, one of the saving graces was with Queen Anya, you you could still, even though she really never knew her parents and and she was a tragic figure in her own right, you could still feel the guidance of like the, the world that her parents built for her uh, through whatever you can assume their their rulership style was. Uh, you see that in her confrontation with Viren and saying like, you know what, Viren, all the points you've raised are completely valid. I respect them and acknowledge them. That is still not the world that like I was, I, I see my parents have built for, for me, you know, so I'm not going, I'm not going to, she, she says like the same way that you helped save 500,000 of my people, I'm not going to condemn a million 
of my people to death and basically throw the numbers out of whack, you know. Um, and and as as the show as a whole, I've I've really been impressed by how inclusive it is. There's multiple people of color in all sorts of stations in life in the show. Uh, King Harrow is the obvious example, but there I noticed that the the doctor that takes care of Soren, and we'll talk about Soren in a second too, is is a, a woman of color and. Uh, uh, I had a list here, but uh, General Amaya. General Amaya, I can't believe I forgot General Amaya. General Amaya has been one of my favorite characters just because in a show in the year of our Lord 2019 on Netflix, you have a, a deaf character who uses what I assume is American Sign Language. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Um, and, and there are multiple scenes where... Uh, if if her translator uh, lieutenant isn't with her, um, like at the at the burial chamber for King Harrow, she signs a little eulogy, and it's like 15 seconds long. Like she takes her time, and I was like, that's that feels really important. So whether it comes to something like General Maya or the uh, Queen Anya's characters, what are what are the kinds of things that you guys are looking to to what thoughts run through your heads when you're like, Hey, we want to build a character out of thin air who makes our audience feel like they can find a piece of themselves in this story. So really briefly, broadly speaking, the lack of representation in storytelling and kind of the standardization of a lot of um, characters over many years. So a lot, a lot of that has come from like almost a network executive structure where someone is like, well, we need a very, mainstream aspirational hero who's very you know and they would push towards something that was very standardized that they saw as uh kind of aspirational i don't know how else to say it but like a white male lead who's athletic Mm -hmm. and smart and clever whatever like that's i mean i remember being told not that long ago when i was going to go pitch shows at a at a major network that like that, those were the kinds of leads I needed. And it would have to be someone who was confident and aspirational and in that category. Yeah. And that sucks. And like long-term though, I think like, you know, their attempt, which was to kind of consolidate and, and kind of appeal to a broader mainstream audience, what it did was it left a ton of kind of storytelling and character opportunity on the table. And so like part of it for us is like, we feel we feel good about it. Part of it is like we... We, we want our audience to be a div- really diverse audience yeah. and, and people of all, you know, kinds. Um, and but yeah, part of it is is uh, it's really it's so underdone that, that the chance to to create original characters and tell original stories with people who are less represented and more diverse. It's like there's so much opportunity that it's like uh you know, I, I hope this is the beginning of a wave of, I mean, not that we're the beginning of it. I think we're seeing it in a lot of places um, that, that, that there's a lot of, that storytelling is just going to go in this direction. I think, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, wait a minute. There's so many more interesting, think about how successful Black Panther was. Like the fact that it was refreshing is almost ridiculous. Yeah. Like that shouldn't have been refreshing. It should have just been great because it was a great story, yeah. you know? And, and, but yeah. I think that that's what's happening is there are opportunities and people are seeing that there are opportunities. I think also just to tag in really quick, I think that when you said like, how do you think about it? Well, like coming up with a character out of like thin air, I think a lot of it is like, you think about what the character is going to be and what their life was like and, and sort of what their story is going to be. And then, you know, and then you sort of go like, okay, well, how can we make that more interesting? Or like, is there other things that make that, like that make that story make more sense that that could be more representational because hopefully then more of your audience sees themselves or something that they know in their lives on screen right like that's that's so much more interesting than just doing the same thing over and over again and like netflix is a great partner because they kind of were just like do the stuff you guys want to do like don't they were not telling us like oh it's got to be he was we were not getting those notes that aaron was getting a few years ago at a big network it was like guys tell the awesome story you want to tell like we're we're super behind you whatever you want to do um, and so I think we are seeing a turn, hopefully, in the industry that that this is just the the very beginning of, of great storytelling that's going to be much more representational. And we're not, by the way, like we're we're trying our best to, to keep it up, right? Like we are we're scratching mm-hmm. the surface of this world, and hopefully we can push in like 
even crazier and weirder directions into like some of the magic stuff and things like that as well that have nothing to do with this world, right? Um, like being able to see humans as humans, but then also just like weird elves and all that kind of stuff as well. I think I think in a sense it speaks to your responsiveness to the community, right? And that was uh, uh, a few days ago. There was just a simple story about like, oh, the Dragon Prince team like doubled the frame rates uh, simply to kind of make the world look a little smoother and better. And that was just one small example. But like, how? Tell me, tell me like what your experience has been with the Dragon Prince community and. Um, what kinds of things you tend to hear from them and what you kind of consider their, your, your relationship with them to be. Um, I, so I'm astounded by the community that has grown around the dragon prince for a lot of reasons. Um, the, the first that comes to mind that's, that's different is like, they are very, it's a kind community. Yeah. There is a positive energy in dragon prince fans and in the way they talk to each other and treat each other and interact and, it's really inspiring energy. Um, there, it's an intelligent community. It's a passionate community. It's an insightful community. I mean, like, that's that's the pleasure of this has been saying like, okay, well, here's this story, and we're inviting you to be a part of it. And the people who have said, yeah, we want to be a part of it, we want to talk about it, have been kind, smart, yeah. and passionate. And it's yeah. like, this is this is a pleasure. This is you know, we feel really really lucky. So we don't take it for granted. We we do listen. We do want to interact as much as we can um, because they're they're the ones creating the energy that this is all about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you see it, too. I mean, it's very easy. You go online and you look at the way people talk about this. And, and by the way, that's not to invalidate anyone who feels angry or frustrated or uh, passionate about something um, that they disagree with or they they think that the show didn't do well or something like that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what's nice is that those people aren't being just invalidated or shot down. Like people are listening to them and talking about things and processing things. And like, you know, it's um, so far, it's been really amazing to see. And so, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I worked on Avatar many years ago and there were kind of at the time there wasn't the communities didn't exist the way they do in social media. Now you sort of had forums and it was much more limited the kinds of interaction you could have, and it was less instantaneous, and it was further removed. Um, and so when Avatar came out, like there was there was a great response and there was good energy, but it was hard to have a conversation. It was hard for that to be kind of a live communal experience. Yeah. So seeing something like Dragon Prince co connect with a community um, is uh, is is amazing. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, a ditto. <laughs> Nothing bad. Like it's just it's so delightful to wake up in the morning and open Twitter and then see like eighty pieces of amazing art and positive comments about that art and questions and people going back and forth. It's just so cool. And a huge huge amount of credit where credit is due. Like um, our head of community, Danica Harrod, is who runs the Dragon Prince account. I love Danica. I I I know her from her Waypoint days. So love Danica. Yeah. She's she's hilarious and she's genuine. And she she loves the community and she's a great she's great at explaining to old farts like me <laughs> like, or whatever, yeah. like, oh, hey, this is a thing you might not understand. And not just like some meme, but maybe like also like this is why people are feeling this way. And this yeah. is this is why, you know, and so she's been she's helped educate us. But also, I think she's like so genuinely connected with the community and kind of helped to grow them and empower them like. Yeah. Danica deserves a huge amount of credit She's, for the fact that the the community is so kind, yeah. positive, and energized. Yeah. She's the one on the front lines, like twenty four hours a day, kind of seeing it all kind of filter in. Yeah, while you guys are heads down in the work. Yeah, going back to that old Polygon article, uh, I I reread it about an hour ago before we we jumped into this. Just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember asking him about that and, and the and the uncle's shop and everything. Aaron, you you said you remember. Uh, you talked about receiving a letter from a young fan who who loved the character uh, Mai uh, in Avatar because her like dour nature uh, felt like something she could relate to. And uh, have you have you kind of it, we've only been one season in, but have you had any significant interactions with fans that have felt like really gratifying in any way? Yeah, I mean a lot. Like, honestly, like more than you and, can count. And, and a lot of it is you can just find it going on and looking at. Twitter, um, I mean, as recently as 
today, like, uh, you know, I exchanged some DMs with someone who had some concerns and reached out and we talked and it, it feels good. I mean, if, and, and like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of something, you know, there, there was, there were quite a few people when, when the first season came out who were able to share stories of, um, people in their lives in, in, in the deaf community yeah. who were responding to Amaya and seeing this powerful general, seeing this character who, who happened to be deaf, but it wasn't, her character was not all about deafness. Her character no, was about, at all, yeah. you know, her, her power and personality and her, her love and her strength. And th that's what her character was about. And, uh, that was awesome to, to see that, uh, there were people who felt represented by her who were, who found joy in that. Like, you know, and by the way, plenty of people found joy in seeing her who aren't deaf and that was good too. But yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there have been a number of experiences like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one more story, which is that we were at um, anime LA a few weeks ago and um, a young woman came, came to us and talked to us and said, uh, sh and this connects it back to avatar. She said that uh, when she was watching Avatar, her father, she was like 12, I yeah, think. She, she was younger. And uh, her father was deployed in Iraq. And mm -hmm. they would watch the new episodes on Skype together. So mm. she would yeah, share it with her it. dad, yeah. uh, who was, you know, abroad and, and, you know, in danger and all these things. And she said, Dragon Prince is out. And she's like, well, he's back home. He's like, but she lives in L.A. and he lives in Arizona. And they've been, they, they, they watched them thing. together. They, yeah. they were like, well, I'm going to wait. We'll watch this next episode together. Yeah. And so they're doing it again. And like the feeling of like, I, I love that it's connect, that it would connect families like that. So yeah. I also particularly love stories where parents and kids um, are finding connection through these stories together. So that's another nice story. Forgot to mention one of my favorite moments from this season was uh, one I one I really didn't expect. So like Soren has been this character who, I my brain subconsciously like looks for those those Avatar parallels. But like I think you you guys have done a really good job of of avoiding any of that. Nothing like Avatar. I don't. <laughs> no. There's zero similarities between. It's just that uh, what's the guy's name? Jack DeSena. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah uh, it's Callum. Yeah, and I hear Sokka every damn time. But. <laughs> When Soren uh, fights with the red dragon that attacks the town, he's knocked against the rock and paralyzed from what seems to be the neck down. And that that tragedy is, I don't want to say erased, but uh, is is kind of addressed later with uh, uh, Claudia performing her dark magic again. And it was another one of those examples of like, here's a person using their power in a negative way but you can see why like they're doing it for someone or something that they care about and to me i wonder like what what was your thought again what was your thought process kind of committing to something super tragic like that and the fallout from it and maybe the implications from it it just seemed like another one of those kind of character moments like i can't believe they went there like they had a deaf general they had a, a lgbt kings yada yada they had a character crippled seemingly for life you know um i think well thank you first of all i think part of it is when we when we thought about doing it when we when we first pitched it i don't remember who pitched the idea but basically when it came out it was like well if we're gonna do this it better still feel like a tragedy because what we don't want to imply is that, like, oh, it's super easy to get over being paralyzed, right? Like, sure, let's sure. not have a show where we have all this representation and then we sort of blow it with a, with a paralyzed character. And so we wanted there to be a real cost to doing that, right? Like, obviously, it, there's a, an enormous amount of cost to Claudia, like, just physically, right? Like, her, her hair changes. She has to use a whole, you know, just a sacrifice of, of this cute animal, like, all of this stuff. But on top of that, it, it had to tie into her, her pathos about her family, in a really meaningful way, right? It had to be like, Claudia will do anything to keep her family together, including horrible dark magic, right? And like, and there still should be a feeling that like, this was something that, that was really, really hard for her to do, but that she had to do it for her family. And I think that became the linchpin of why I think it works. Um, I think without all of that other stuff, it, it could have gone in a distasteful way, but hopefully we handled it in a way where it feels like Soren made a terrible decision uh, I think it will affect him really meaningfully in the future, right? I think this is a pivotal moment for Soren, and 
like I said before, God willing, we get to tell more of these things because I think that'll shake out in a bunch of different interesting ways. Um, but on top of that, it really tells you something about Claudia, right? And how much mm-hmm. she's willing to do bad things for what she perceives to be the right reason. And, and I think that will affect her you know, going forward as well. So thank you for saying that because I think I was worried about it. Um, and I'm glad that it came across the way it, the way it did. For yeah. And uh, uh, for for our last question here, I, I really want to... <laughs> We, we did talk about this again during that old Polygon article, how uh, you're building the Dragon Prince to be this this world, not just a singular story, um, but a, a place where like different kinds of uh, games or comics or what, what may have you uh, are, are planned for. Is there anything uh, on the game front that you can say, or is that still kind of under deep, deep production? We'll say so. Yes, it is under deep production. No, I can't say very much, but like, yeah, um, it looks awesome. Aaron said the other day it looks awesome on a big screen, which is something that we're really proud of. Like, it's it is a very cool game. It's very deep, deeply rooted in the world of Zadia. So, um, and that means that the game itself will have stuff in it, or, or lots of stuff in it that will never be in the show, right? Like, there'll be tons mm-hmm. of characters and places and events and things that will only ever occur in the game. Um, and so, if you love the Dragon Prince show, hopefully you go in and see the game and go, wow, there's more of this stuff. And then hopefully if you didn't see the show and you found the game, you'd be like, man, this is really cool. I wish they made an animated series for this. Huh. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, what we feel like is the game is is truly its own piece of the world. It's a, it's a critical piece of the product. And so hopefully that will be reflected when people actually get to play it. Yeah, I, I'm only going to tag in to say, you know, you know, you heard it from us very early that the Wonderstorm dream was about doing both storytelling and amazing gameplay and i can't think the world has been able to see the show and and um you know our our amazing writers and animators are are, and artists you know are getting recognized for their beautiful incredible work and um there's a whole other half of wonderstorm that like this 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 game looks is beautiful and like i was i like We've been starting to share it with specific publishers and stuff like that right now. Yeah. And we're feeling so, so proud of it. And the, and the engineers and artists and um, everyone working on this game are uh, are really killing it. And, and uh, we really, I can't wait to yeah. share that. Exactly. It's like, it's one of those things that it's... It's time uh, will come. It, it, it's time, but yeah. Um, yeah. but that team is doing amazing work. And, and, and uh, I, I think that the community and fans of the Dragon Prince show are going to be really happy when they yeah. have a chance to check this out. Awesome. Well, you've got one happy Dragon Prince fan right here. So. Thank you. <laughs> so, guys, thank you so much. Um, the second season comes out on the 15th. Uh, you can already watch it by the time this episode goes up. So, please, if you haven't, uh, what, why did you listen to this show? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've made a mistake. But, yeah, you've made a horrible, horrible mistake. Justin, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, as always, folks, you can check out the 1099 every Monday. Thanks so much for watching.